Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. This year we saw the end of a beloved streaming TV series. We also saw one of the most celebrated directors of all time working with a tribe to portray a historical tragedy in an authentic and accurate way. There's no doubt Native stories are finding their place in pop culture. Today we'll get the quick take on how 2023 stacks up when it comes to Native stories, talent, and portrayals finding their way to mainstream audiences. We're back right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. A federal grand jury this month indicted two men for allegedly killing eagles on the Flathead Reservation in Montana to sell feathers on the black market. Montana Public Radio's John Hooks has more. The indictment charges two men, one from Ronan and one from Washington State, with illegally killing over 3,000 birds from 2015 to 2021. The men are also accused of trafficking parts from bald and golden eagles for significant sums of cash across the United States. The investigation was initiated by Fish and Game Conservation Officers with the Confederated Salish and Kootenai Tribes. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service concluded the investigation. In a statement, CSKT Chairman Tom McDonald said eagles have a tremendous significance to the ecosystem on the Flathead and to tribes' religious and cultural practices. Golden and bald eagles are protected under state and federal law. Taking or transporting feathers is outlawed except for religious use by tribal members. The indictment accuses the men of baiting eagles with deer carcasses before killing them and selling feathers, wings, and tail sets. The men are scheduled to appear in a Missoula court in January. A spokesperson for the Montana U.S. attorney declined to comment on the indictment. For National Native News, I'm John Hooks. One Utah nonprofit is visiting every structure in the western half of San Juan County to connect off-grid residents with essential services they do not receive due to a lack of an address. Alex Gonzalez reports. Daylene Redhorse is an addressing specialist with the Rural Utah Project. She explains for those who live on the Navajo Reservation in San Juan County, formal street addresses are rare, so families may go without access to services from mail delivery and internet to emergency medical services and the government-issued ID they need to vote. Redhorse is helping people get connected with the open source plus code tool developed by Google, which consists of 10-digit versions of conventional geocoordinates. We're able to put people back in the right precinct or have them registered in the right precinct. Not only that, while doing this job, we were able to reach people who had no idea of where to register to vote. Red Horse says the technology is simple and useful. The Rural Utah Project identified voting as a key target for the initiative when it found almost 90% of Navajo residents were registered by San Juan County at the wrong location and a quarter in the wrong precinct. Red Horse adds the plus codes do have limits, but she's encouraging service providers to use them. Red Horse says she took on the project and was determined to make a difference after her mother experienced a stroke and emergency personnel couldn't easily reach her, waiting for an hour as she tried to explain her location. Red Horse says because of the plus codes, firefighters and 
and paramedics' response time has been shortened by at least 30 minutes. So they're, they're able to get to these homes. And that was another way we've seen that it was beneficial. A lot of people would like perceive to see it help them on the postal side, but we're, we're still trying to reach out to distributors to see if they can implement this code into their system. In addition to rural Utah, similar models have also been implemented in densely populated urban areas that also lack addresses in countries like Brazil, Egypt, and India. I'm Alex Gonzalez. This story was produced with original reporting from Peter Young for Yes Media. New Mexico Commissioner of Public Lands Stephanie Garcia-Richard has extended the ban on new oil, gas, and mineral leasing on thousands of acres of state lands near Chaco Culture National Historical Park through December 2043. The commissioner placed the leasing ban on state lands in 2019, which was set to expire at the end of the year. Interior Secretary Deb Holland issued a similar 20-year ban on federal lands in June. Pueblo leaders are among those celebrating the move. They want to see permanent protection of the area, while the Navajo Nation and Navajo Alatis have come out in opposition. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation, with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by Vision Maker Media, envisioning a world changed and healed by understanding Native stories and the public conversations they generate. 45 plus years of Native stories and Indigenous knowledge through film and media can be found at visionmakermedia.org. When you celebrate responsibly, you ensure holidays filled with joy, love, and cherished moments. And you keep yourself and loved ones safe while setting a positive example. Cheers to safe celebrations. Support by Diageo and the Multicultural Consortium for Responsible Drinking. More at drinkiq.com. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. Welcome to Native America Calling, your National Humanities medal-winning radio show and podcast. Time Magazine recently put the streaming television show Reservation Dogs at the top of its list of best shows for 2023. The show about four Native teens in Oklahoma garnered a lot of praise in its three years on the small screen. The big screen tragedy of a string of murders on the Osage Reservation in the 1920s is on a lot of people's best movies of 2023 list. Killers of the Flower Moon is among the Golden Globe nominations for Best Picture of the Year. And audiences got introduced to a new Marvel Choctaw superhero, with Echo coming back with her own series in January. Today on our show, we'll talk about some of the Native stories, productions, actors, and comics that achieved pop culture status this year. We also want to hear from you. What are the comic books, TV shows, movies, memes, or TikTok videos that stood out to you this year? Join our conversation by calling 1-800-996-2848. That's 1-800-996-2848 to share your comments and thoughts on the air. Joining us now from Albuquerque, New Mexico is Jason Asnap. He is a writer, critic, and filmmaker. He is Comanche and Muscogee. Jason, welcome back to Native America Calling. Hi, good morning. Good morning to you. Joining us from Hollywood, Florida is Everett Osceola. He is the cultural ambassador and film liaison for the Seminole Tribe of Florida, 
also the president and co-founder of the Native Real Cinema Festival. He is seminal. Everett, welcome back to you as well. Hello, thank you for having me. Joining us from St. Paul, Minnesota is Nicholas DeShaw. He is a writer for a tribe called Geek, a children's book author, a husband, and a father. He is Boyce Fort Ojibwe. Nicholas, welcome to Native America Calling. Hey, Buju. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Buju. And in Baltimore, Maryland, we have James Simmermeyer. He is a co-founder of the Native Comic Book Society, and he is a Kohari tribal member. James, welcome to Native America Calling. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Well, let's go ahead and get this conversation started. We're going to talk a little pop culture today. And Jason, I'm going to start with you. What's the overall trend for Native pop culture this year? Did we move the cool and trendy needle in 2023? Oh, I think so, definitely. Uh, it's like a really incredible year for, for Native film and TV. Just, uh, you know, the, this, you have the ending of Reservation Dogs, which was a three-year, maybe three years out of it. It went so fast. Just a three-year, like, incredible, you know, experiment and in indigenous excellence on television with, you know, an all-indigenous from top to bottom, writers, actors, directors, crew, just showing what could be done and, 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 and just displaying just the incredible, you know, wealth of talent that we have in Indian country. And it's sad to see that show go, but I'm glad that we had it for <clears throat> the three seasons we had. You know, just thinking about uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, which everyone has been anticipating for for a while now, that project went, goes back before um, COVID, and so it was a long time coming, and it finally came out this year. Uh, you know, Fry Bread Face and Me. Is that right? Fry Bread Face and Me? <laughs> I, yeah, I've seen that, uh, that's the title. I wrote about that show, <laughs> but I've just seen it so many times. But uh, yeah, that was such an incredible, uh, uh, satisfying, like family-friendly show, and uh, I don't know anyone that did not like that, uh, that did not like that movie, and it came out right around the time of, you know, the, the, the last holiday. So it was perfect timing for the whole family to get together around, you know, a show like that. And then the curse is something that's kind of a little off the radar, probably of a lot of people. It's very niche, very uh, New Mexican. Uh, it's a Santa Fe, it's a it's shot, I'm sorry, shot in Española, but it features some indigenous talent and it's a, it's a collaboration with uh uh, some art house uh, filmmakers on Showtime. And so that's something that, and that's still actually ongoing. I think there's about four more episodes. And it's eccentric, bizarre, and really intriguing to me. So much going on, television, movies. Jason, you mentioned Reservation Dogs. Let's go ahead and hear a clip from the series finale. During its three-season run, Reservation Dogs earned its spot on over 80 critics' best of television lists. It tied for the best television show of 2023 by Time Magazine and earned a Peabody Award last year. This is a clip from the last episode of the series, which aired on FX on September 27th of this year. Here, the character Bear, played by DeFerro Wunatai, and Spirit, played by Dallas Goldtooth, exchange their last words together on screen. What advice you got for me today? You know, to like help further myself? No. Not today, Bear. Okay. So then what? Nothing? 
I guess, uh, I guess I'm here to say goodbye. I mean, I can't really say goodbye because you know it's like a colonial way of talking. Yeah. Our people say stuff like, see you later, or, you know, go off, or, you know, peace. Because we don't have a word for goodbye. So you're really leaving? Like, for real? I'm proud of you, little brother. You deserve to be loved, and you deserve to love. And that's what all those people in there are offering you. That's why you're here. Digging Fixico's grave. Hey, you spent all this time asking me questions. I got one for you. What have you learned, nephew, grandson? I learned that I don't got to be the only leader. That I'm from an amazing community, and I'm just proud to be a part of it. Ah, there it is! Finally! You got it! That's what I've been trying to tell you! We don't need more chiefs, we need more warriors! Ah, ah! That was a scene from the final episode of Reservation Dogs. All three seasons of the show are available to stream on Hulu. Jason, how many times did you get misty-eyed during that series finale? Uh, more than probably I'd like to admit. You know, it's just or just throughout the whole, all the seasons, really. There's certain parts, certain episodes, like the Mabel episode, I believe. It's, uh, you know, the, there's just, yeah, certain episodes. I'm just like, man, this is, you know, really hitting me in, in special places that, no other television show, no other television show could, because it's you know again it's specifically native you know made from top to bottom, and they know these these uh the writers and the directors and the actors they know the nuances of what that is, what that means, and they're not um they weren't coming across as cheesy or inauthentic. It was it was very authentic, and there was a you know to this day I mean I'll probably return you know revisit some of these episodes and just to um you know kind of. Because it's that good of a TV show, you know. Yeah, it's definitely timeless. And well, that 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 scene. It, I mean, it sounded like the Sterling Harjo, the show's creator. It's like he's saying goodbye to all the viewers. And what message do you think the show ended on? I think it was it was uh, hopeful and positive and kind of like, yeah. I mean, pretty much what you said. It's kind of just like kind of passing the torch to the to the next people that are going to come up and hopefully, you know, that will happen sooner than later. Cause it took us so long to get to this point to where we finally have our own show. Um, and hopefully, I mean, it sounds like the possibilities are there, you know, that um, we, it's definitely indigenous people have proven that we can create, you know, great work. Um, and yeah, it's, I mean, I'm excited to see what happens, you know, what the next people do, you know, collectively. I'm excited too. However, I got to say I'm a little bit worried because we saw Rutherford Falls that was canceled at the end of last year. And then we had the series finale of Res Dog. So I'm a little worried that native television is kind of at a little bit of a standstill. What's your thought, Jason? Well, I mean, there's still um, Dark Winds is still out there, you know, and, and I hear what you're saying for sure. But, you know, we have Echo, you know, on the horizon, the horizon next year, uh, which is actually like a week actually, or a couple of weeks, I don't know. Um, and I, I admittedly, I don't know much about echo because I kind of just saving it for when it actually comes out. I want to, you know, savor what that show is going to be about. And I have a lot of friends on that show, you know, I have a, this morning star, Angeline and Cody lightning, two, two close friends of mine. And yeah, I'm excited to, to see what happens there. Like there's, yeah, I, I'm, I'm hopeful. Yeah. 
What do you think Sterling's got up his sleeve? I, I, there's got to be something big coming down. Well, I know that there's that movie, um, uh, the basketball movie that he uh, wrote the screenplay for that Sidney Freeland, uh, the Navajo director, directed called uh, Res Ball. That's coming out probably next, I assume next year. I'm not exactly sure about that. But yeah, I mean, he's, he's, I'm sure he's got like some projects that, you know, he maybe can't talk about, but I'm sure that like there's stuff on the horizon that we don't know about yet. Any other trends, pop culture related to 2023, Jason, anything, social media, television, movies, what else is there? Um, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm usually just, my head's always in the, um, on the, you know, my, my eyes are on the screen. <laughs> so that's, you know, I'm, I'm just looking at a film and TV and just looking back upon it and thinking about it, and reflecting on it. I'm still finishing up a couple of pieces for the for the end of the year uh the, on the the curse in particular i'm writing writing something about the curse for source new mexico and yeah i mean um i'm just i'm pretty uh content with this past year of like uh for, for film and tv i think it, i it'd be great if we could have another year like this next year i don't know if it's possible it seems it seems to be pretty amazing what we had this year we were very lucky as indigenous people who viewed television and t uh movies 2023, it was a big year, but there's uh, there's always room for to improve. There's always room to uh, expand and grow. So I think a lot of us are optimistic for 2024. What do you think, listeners? You think 2024 is going to be as epic a year for Native pop culture as 2023 was? Give us a call. Let us know. 1-800-996-2848. We're going to talk a lot more pop culture in 2023 when we come back from this break. Immersion schools, adult language classes, and even a college course are all part of the network of efforts the Eastern Band of Cherokee Tribe offers to build new fluent speakers. We'll talk with language experts about what it takes to keep the Cherokee language alive in North Carolina. That's on the next Native America Calling. Support for this program provided by Vision Maker Media, who envisions a world changed and healed by understanding Native stories and the public conversations they generate. Nurturing the next generation of storytellers with courage, generosity, creativity, respect, and commitment. 45-plus years of Native stories and Indigenous knowledge through film and media can be found at visionmakermedia.org, whose slogan is, Together We Are Vision Makers. Thank you for listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We are talking with Native pop culture aficionados about highlights in film, TV, and comic books this year. What are some highlights from this year for you? What were some comics, movies, TV shows that really stood out? What trends are you noticing? Join the conversation, 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Let's talk with Everett Osceola now. He is the cultural ambassador and film liaison for the Seminole Tribe of Florida, among other roles and titles. And Everett, we just uh, heard Jason talk about several films. Uh, what are your thoughts on some of these movies, Killers of the Flower Moon, etc.? 
Oh, hi, uh, Stongo. Uh, again, thank you for having me. And yeah, there's just um, there's just a huge um, interest and boom on native narrative. Uh, I would say stories, TV, and film. Uh, Killers of the Flower Moon um, uh, was very anticipated, and when that came out, uh, I went and saw it uh, at a little theater down the street um, from where I live. Our right down the street from the reservation. And then a couple of other people, uh, a lot of my family went, we uh, dressed up in our patchwork and it was a very, very hard hitting film. And it kind of just opened the, um, I guess you would say it opened the, uh, the channels to learn about our history. That's pretty much, you know, it's underneath the radar type of thing. Um, especially with uh, some of the tribe of Florida, we have so many stories. Um, you know, with our Seminole Wars, um, a lot of people want to do it on some of the uh, figures such as Osceola. Uh, but there's also, we have our, uh, other stories that have to deal with, uh, you know, like uh, there's one named Kawakachi, uh, John Horse. Um, and then, you know, uh, with kind of like with uh, the Reservation Dogs and that ending its its run. Um, yeah, it was very a somber note. I mean, it was a really good note. Uh, but what I really loved hearing was actually in hearing in both Killers of the Flower Moon and Reservation Dogs was learning or uh, hearing the Osage language and then also hearing the Creek language and the Reservation Dogs. Uh, because down here in the Seminole and Seminole Tribe, we have two languages, which is also Creek. And we also call the other one called Elabongi. And we both speak both languages. Uh, my family mostly speaks Creek. So it was really, it was really, uh, I felt really uh, connected with the TV show Reservation Dogs because I heard a lot of the language that my family speaks, you know, when I go to, when I go, you know, be a part of my community and being around my family, it was good seeing it on TV. I think that's one of the elements that's just so fascinating and it, it, what really sets the, the modern native entertainment landscape apart from previous generations is just how many native language stories are being uh, brought to the screen and and let's talk about that a little bit Everett like what was native pop culture like when you were growing up and how is it different today uh, native pop culture to me um, it was mostly you know kind of like what you were saying they thought uh, when I mean they like the outside like going like they always make that that funny, uh, that joke from uh, Smoke Signals, you know, when you're leaving the reservation, you're going into a different world. So make sure you get your get your shots taken before you leave the reservation type of thing. Um, so it's like when I was leaving the reservation and going to, you know, because I went to public schools and then, you know, going to work for Wendy's down the street and everything. Um, a lot of people thought we, you know, I think at that time it was uh, – Dances with Wolves when that came out and you know and I had long hair at the time so a lot of people thought we all had you know we all lived in teepees and stuff like that but um, I would kind of you know told them no we have our own uh, traditional housing or traditional dwellings such as the Cheeky Hut um, but then I would say there was another film that came out which was uh, Indian in the Cupboard with uh, Lightfoot and I think there was a scene where he puts down um, he puts down a, a teepee and then Lightfoot's character says, what's that? And he's like, oh, is, isn't it your housing? And he's like, no, that's not our housing. And that kind of like resonated with me. And I was like, yeah, you know, so then it kind of went from 
uh, Dancing with Wolves, and then you had, oh, and then uh, Last of the Mohicans that had came out. That, to me, was very close to kind of like how our Seminal Wars were. Um, and then also uh, Smoke Signals. When Smoke Signals came out, that really, I would say, modernized the, the Native people, you know, because people, you know, when I was growing up, people thought, you know, it was like, oh, they would, you know, they were amazed that I was wearing a t-shirt or they were amazed I was wearing jeans and stuff like that, you know, because uh, it was kind of like hard to break from that, um, I wouldn't say stereotypical, but like a lot of people during that, I hate to sound old, but during my time, they thought, you know, we still lived in teepees, we live, we wear buckskin and stuff like that. Uh, the thing is that we did wear, I mean, Seminoles, we do have our traditional wear as well, but we do it for certain ceremonies or certain times when we wear it. Um, but when we go to school, you know, we wear jeans and a lot of people, you know, even though it's South Florida, it's still the South. So there is a lot of a lot of misconceptions when they watch uh, certain movies when I was growing up. But Smoke Signals, it really kind of like opened that whole realm of the, you know, riding in cars, you know, um, having, you know, wearing jeans and T-shirt. You know, during my time, a lot of people thought, you know, we lived on, you know, we rode horses and got there or they would ask us, you know, um, you know, living, uh, living on the, living on the reservation. Do we live in houses? It was stuff like that. But like, I uh -huh. think again, with smoke signals and reservation dogs, it kind of put a picture of the modern native person. I think it really took uh native humor. It, it brought a whole new level of native humor, like mainstream America had never seen before, especially like you say, smoke signals. It just took it to a whole new level. And Everett, tell us more about your role as film ambassador to the Seminole tribe of Florida. That just sounds so cool and exciting. Uh, okay, so the film liaison, well, I've started, I've always been into films. I've always been into movies, um, uh, even way back when, even my cousin. <laughs> Even my cousins and uh, aunts, they were actually in Porky's 2, if you remember that. It was called the next episode. They actually had. <laughs> That's right. It was down um, in Florida. I forgot. Porky's 2. Yeah. In Florida. I'm old enough to remember that one. That's an old <laughs> cut, bro. <laughs> and then, yeah. and then it, even, it, even, oh, sorry. it even goes even further than that because they would – I don't have the actual – but I have the, the picture. If you look on Native Real Cinema Fest uh, Facebook, I have an old picture. And it was in the 1920s, and they actually used to use Seminoles to take people to when they would film in the Everglades. And so I don't have it, uh, the actual records, but from hearing what I, what I heard with that picture, that was the first picture when they were shooting Birth of a Nation, which is the first cinematic feature films. So Seminoles were actually a part of cinema making even in the beginning. In the, in the beginning, sorry. So I feel it's coming back as a full circle. So... Uh, now, because of the big boom of Reservation Dogs, Rutherford Falls, uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, uh, people are kind of like knocking on our doors, uh, asking about, you know, about doing some sort of um, a, a TV show or a period piece of the Seminole Wars or Seminole people. So I kind of took it upon myself to kind of meet with some of these people from the Film Commission of Broward County, uh, some parts of Day County. Um, but making sure that when they come, uh, we we have people approached us uh, that want to do it on the Seminole culture. Um, my role as film liaison is basically looking at their treatment, looking at their site locations, making sure that whatever they put on film is the correct information and making sure it doesn't, um, I would say, disrespect the Seminole people. So I, I kind of 
brought myself to that role, watching movies and starting the Native Real Cinema Fest to kind of take that role on because I've all I love the process of film. I love being behind the camera. In front of the camera, a little bit different. Uh, I've been in front of the camera a couple of times, but I love being behind the camera. You know, site uh-huh. locations, treatments, editing, you know. Every, we hear so much talk about authenticity, right? Native authenticity in film and television. I think that can mean different things to different people, native authenticity. What does it mean to you? Uh, perfect example. Uh, the clip you just you just played. Yeah, I mean, uh, I did kind of get a little teary-eyed on some parts. Uh, some things that I feel resonates because I've done a couple of short films. Um, and one of the things that I notice is when you kind of you kind of get that uh, that support from the native audience, like, oh, I went through the same thing. Uh, one of the scenes in Reservation Dogs that really hit like hit close to me was when they had the funeral scene for Daniel when he, you know, when they had the funeral for him and they would sing in the Creek hymns. Uh, that really brought a lot of emotions out. So to me, authenticity is almost bringing uh, kind of like a closeness of showing uh, what your community was like uh, or or is and then showing it and then having that same connection. Because I've always talked to a lot of people because being a culture ambassador, I, I speak to different other tribes, cultures. We just had a hosting for the Maori people from New Zealand uh, last month. Um, and they say, like, even though we're worlds apart, we just have that that connection, uh, whether it be through history, whether it be triumph, uh, uh, tribulations through our histories, um, culture, or, you know, with wars and everything. But to me, authenticity is, again, with the clip you were saying, because that kind of hit close to home when, because we don't have a word for goodbye, you know? And, you know, and I feel like us in the same, same token or same way that uh, when, an elder is teaching you something, you, you sit there and you listen, you know? And that's what I see with a lot of reservation dogs, Rutherford Falls. It's like a lost person, but then they'll go back to their community and they talk to their aunts or their uncles. And they kind of like have this, you know, this way of, you know, going through that set set way of life, I guess you would say. Because when Janice Schmidling went back to her community in Rutherford Falls, she was like, she wanted to run, you know, but they were like, you got to get, you got to get connected with your community. So I feel like, the authenticity shows that journey. It's like pretty much not the destination, but it's the journey of that character getting to that. That's the whole, the whole point of uh, watching a show or watching a movie. And what they go through is like, yeah, when you see the ants getting mad at them, you know, I remember my aunt getting mad at me, or you know, them <laughs> having fun with the, the uh, like their cousins. Like to me, I, I don't really. Everybody asks me like, oh, you, you call this person your cousin, your cousin, and I was like, yeah, well, you know, they're not really my friends. They're more like my cousin, and I always say my cousin. And then, you know, when I was watching Reservation Dogs, I was hearing that a lot. Oh, this is my cousin over here. Or my, uh, I just went on a site location today, and I called my my. Uh, he's actually my nephew, but I call him my cousin Neff. You know what I mean? So it's like things like that, like kind of like that resonates with Native people. Like we'll catch it right off the bat. And then now it kind of like opens up to the other world because now I have friends who are non-Native, and I hear them say it's Skoden or Studis, you know, and it's kind of like <laughs> – it kind of like it's those little those little see. nuances, those little elements, right? That we pick them up. Yes, we can see it. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Jason, I, I want to go back, pivot back. Let's talk a little bit about fry bread face and me, because that 
that was a big film this year. Definitely, definitely huge. What, what was your initial reaction when you saw Frybird Racing Me? Man, it was um, it was a super. Um, I was uh, I don't know, I don't want to say rewarding, but it was. But it was just like it was a very like well done, um, kind of like a you know crowd pleaser, I guess you could say. Like <clears throat> uh, in what I, what I, actually probably the biggest takeaway that I was super fascinated about, other than the film just being good, you know, from beginning to end, and um, I just wrote a piece for High Country News that'll be coming out pretty soon on this. Uh, I was actually really fascinated that you have Nav, you know, Navajo characters, Navajo actors playing Navajo characters for the for the most part. Um, so and and you don't a director, you don't see a director having that option very often where you have you know, the actual tribe, you know, of the people portraying, or the, you know, if you have, you know, you have, I have a Comanche characters, you have Comanche uh, actors playing Comanche characters. Like you don't see uh-huh. that often because there's just right. not a ton of, you know, indigenous actors. So when you have that in this, in this particular movie, I think it, it's pretty, uh, it, it helps the, the, the performances. Like uh, it was, there's some scenes like in a, there's a scene in a diner where you have like a pretty much an all Navajo cast. You're kind of just all, you know, talking with each other. And it's very, um, uh, it feels like, I hate to use this word again, authentic. <laughs> it just feels like, <laughs> yeah, these guys know what it means to be Navajo and an American diner. Uh, I guess the, the setting was probably 1990, I think at, at that point, but in the film, right. but it's just right. like, it, I think it adds a, a new, el- an added element of, um, of, uh, it's like working with an acting troupe, you know, you work with, you know, you kind of know the workflow, you know. Mm-hmm. It seems like that's kind of the next level too, is that they're just going to demand, I think as native people, we're just going to demand uh, more tribal accuracy with regard to actors and roles. Just seems like that's where, where the, the trend is headed. Let's go ahead and hear an interview we did earlier this year in March with Navajo, Hopi, and Laguna Pueblo filmmaker Billy Luther about his film, Fry Red Face and Me. I talked with him about writing the film, and he mentioned his own grandmother's influence. You know, I couldn't have written this, this, this in my 20s, you know, right after film school. I needed those life experiences to happen within myself, you know, becoming a parent, you know, but just also as a storyteller, you know, I really had, I really wanted to craft something that was a tribute and an honor to the women who raised me and also to my grandmother. So it was, you know, it took me a time for, for me to kind of really set this and say, okay, this is, this is the story I'm going to tell. And I took great responsibility in telling the story too. And, you know, my grandma was a huge inspiration in, 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 in my life. And she was a storyteller with her rugs. She was a weaver, you know, and, you know, she passed away a month before we started filming this. So that was always with me, you know, having, having that mem- those memories and, I think, you know, Sarah Natani, who plays the grandmother, did an amazing job because she just is who she is. You know, she is a weaver, too. So I think that she really brought something extra special to this movie. That was Native filmmaker Billy Luther talking to us about his film, Fry Bread Face and Me. Our conversation with Billy Luther and actors from the film is available in our archives dated March 7th, 2023. Fry Bread Face and Me is currently str- available to stream on Netflix. And Jason, what do you think? 
I just can't help but think Frybread Face and me, they could do a really good sequel on that. Just showing everybody like maybe 10 years in the future and just kind of how all the characters play out. What do you think? I mean, that's possible. Um, I'm okay with it just being, you know, a, a work that just, you know, exists on its own and, and maybe Billy Luther creates something, something new, you know, that's, I, I would, I would actually be more interested in seeing him do uh, on what he, on his next project, you know, cause I feel like that small story that he told of his childhood was to me, it was uh, satisfying it, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. happy with it just living on its own, you know, right on, right on. We're going to take another short break. When we come back, we're going to talk with Nicholas DeShaw and James Simmermeyer. More pop culture 2023 here on Native America Calling. And phone lines are open, so go ahead, let us know what your thoughts are, what your favorite movies, television shows, any memes or TikTok videos, Native theme that really struck out to you, struck out. Let us know, 1-800-996-2848. We'll be right back. Anika Yali, Anika Lopti, Ale with the Zetla, Unilucetti, Tehatla no Hetiska, Tehino Sehesti, Nako well a yellow nudanadega gutlai, Unina Esti. It's a dulit a delo ho histina, healthcare.gov slash coverage with Tatla no Heta, Ale, one eight hundred three one eight two five nine six. He are getting no Medicare, Ale Medicaid, Unadalka in. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce, and there is still time to join our conversation about Native pop culture highlights from the year. 1-800-996-2848. That's the number to call. Let's hear now from Nicholas Deshaw. He's a writer for Tribe Called Geek. And Nicholas, thank you again for joining the show. And, And earlier I posed the question to one of our other guests about the evolution of Native pop culture. And how have you seen Native pop culture evolve in your own lifetime yeah no thanks for asking that uh you know i i'm kind of the generation that uh smoke signals was our big movie you know like i that came out when i was in uh middle school or so um and uh but that was kind of it it felt like for a long time um and it it seemed like we started to turn a bit of a corner around 2018 or so i started just finding a lot more different different media sources comics books and, and a few a few film things that were native centric or native made even and you know this year as we already heard and as a lot of our listeners know like just exploded we've hit a whole new level of native representation and native media uh that's that's really just gone above and beyond and, and just been so so thrilling to see Yeah, it really has. And and let's talk comic books and graphic novels, because I know you've written about several comic books this year. And what are the trends there in that space? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, You know, I I think one of the big things we're seeing in comics is uh, there's this really great rise of uh, semi-indie comic creators, native comic creators. And and I'm excited to say semi-indie, because for the longest time we had Tribal Force, which was the, the first kind of native team-up story ever produced. And it, it really flew under the radar as this kind of cult classic thing. Uh, but that really hasn't changed in, in recent years. Um, you know, kind of the two, a couple big ones that I really enjoyed this year 
uh, were uh, Chickaloonies was a big one for me. Uh, it came out a few years ago, but I mentioned them because it's just such a fantastic story. It follows uh, these two char- best friend characters um, who live in a fictional Alaskan village that hasn't had the sun in many, many years. And they find that all they want to do is enjoy their winter festival and become storytellers. But then they find themselves, of course, as all great stories do, on an unexpected adventure to go and bring back the sun. And uh, that's volume one. And it's, I'm really excited about that one because volume two is coming out. And uh, it's just an independent produced comic from these guys at 80% Studios who I got to do a great interview with for Tribe Called Geek. And uh, uh, I just really hit it off with them. We talked comics and story. It was great. Uh, so that's a big one. Definitely want to check it out if you haven't and keep it out for volume two. But also this year was uh, the long-anticipated sequel to Prism Stalker. Prism Stalker Volume 1 was uh, an image comic that came out in, I think, also 2018. Uh, really deals with themes of displacement, colonialism, and just uh, psychological trauma, but portrayed in this really trippy, uh, fascinating, edge-of-your-seat kind of way. And I've been just holding my breath for Volume 2 to find out what happens next, and we finally got it this year uh, from creator Sloan Leong, who is uh, uh, Kanaka Maoli, Hawaiian, uh, Choctaw, and Cherokee. And uh, this one, she switched to Dark Horse Comics, and it, boy, it, it does not disappoint. It's, it's another great story that uh, is hard to predict. It's, it's a heavy story. You know, I don't want to... The first story, Chickaloonie, is definitely an all-ages story. Prism Stalker is, is definitely a more mature story that's for an older audience, but it is fantastic, uh, really dealing with issues of trauma, grief, uh, and, and belonging in a, a colonized society. So those are two that really have stood out to me this past year for sure. And Nicholas, what is it about these comics or graphic novels like Chickaloonies and Prism Stalker? Is, is it the storylines or is it the artwork? What is it about it just, just makes them so native? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. I, I You know, um, like we were talking about before, it's one of those things, like, I think when natives are allowed to tell our own stories, you know, we recognize our stories. Um, when I read Prism Stalker Volume 1, I actually didn't know that the author was, was a native author. And I was reading it, and it was really resonating with me. I'm like, boy, this is really dealing with colonialism and uh, the cognitive dissonance of identity. I'm like, wow, they're really nailing this. And I, I, I looked into who she was, and I, and I learned she was native. So before I even knew she was native, I could recognize, like, she's drawing on uh, a, a really pretty shared experience that I think a lot of natives can recognize. Um, and, you know, with Chickaloonies, I, I think that story is just kind of showing a lot of the, um, the the humor that I think we have. Like, I don't think it's only a native thing. I think, you know, that story is, is a more wide-reaching thing. But I think if you are native, you read it, and you, there's a little kind of more subtle nod to that, uh, to, to our humor of just being like, yeah, goofing off with your friends at like at the powwow or something like you know like trying to while well, your grandma's trying to like track you down so you're not like getting somewhere you shouldn't be or, or that kind of thing um, <laughs> oh and, grandma and, always so, there yeah <laughs> so uh I, I think but like keeping things family centered uh still within like a broader kind of community celebration too like that's that's just such a native thing all right I want to bring James Simmermeyer also into our conversation, uh, founder of Native Comic Book Society. And James, appreciate you joining the show as well. And television and movies, you know, I feel like I've got a pretty good 
idea of like what it might take to get into that space, either as an actor, as a writer, as a director, but comic books, that just seems, and graphic novels, it seems like a very uncharted area. How hard is it, especially for Native people, to get a start in that industry? I think it's, it can be pretty difficult for Natives to get into it, but I think that the nice thing is, is that there are more opportunities that are popping up. And um, as we we're discussing about stuff that uh, uh, I would say, I would say that the theme for 2023 in general has been uh, in terms of the native media has been this theme of joy. And um, especially with reservation dogs ending um, reservation dogs was a comedy. Um, and I like to, I like to point to the fact that it was started by a group, uh, the 1491s, uh, Sterling Harjo and the rest of that crew. Most of those guys are featured on the show. And one of the first videos that they made um, was called uh, Smile, and it was uh, a bunch of natives smiling as a response to all of those uh, old sepia tone photos of natives looking very stoic. Um, and I bring that up in a very roundabout way uh, because I think that um, it's really neat to see that progression. Reservation Dogs, I would say, essentially started as a YouTube video, um, and then from there was able to grow. And so that's the really cool thing is that even though the road was difficult, and it took a little while because I think Smiling Natives came out probably in like the early, maybe like 2010 or so around there. It took them a little while, but I mean, in less than 10 years, they had a, they had a nationally televised TV show. Um, and so the same kind of thing has happened in Native comics as well. Um, uh, guys like, I uh, really like Nicholas making that, uh, making that shout out to John Proudstar and Tribal Force. Tribal Force was first written probably like a while ago. Um, and, and, and so the really exciting thing about 2023 is that uh, the second installment of Tribal Force has just come out, which is really exciting. So it's, it's been quite a few years, um, but I believe that John did most of that on his own. Um, the nice thing is that you're also starting to see in the big, the big two um, comic book companies, Marvel and DC, uh, Marvel, there's a ton of representation going on. We've already talked about Echo, um, a character that was created by somebody who think is non-native um, but with a lot of heavy influences native influences in his life um, but then from there uh, Sean Bayali um, is started out as like uh, just posting his stuff on social media um, and now he's going to be featured in a couple of really big upcoming projects he was already featured in um, in uh, uh, Ghost Rider uh, a couple of Ghost Rider issues um, there's an issue there's a comic about uh, the origin of lacrosse coming up that's done in conjunction with uh, Iroquois Nationals team, um, and as well as there's been a ton of Native um, creators, both writers and artists, featured on a couple of not, uh, on a couple of Marvel issues. So um, it's difficult, but it's really neat to see that social media has been able to make it more accessible and get people noticed. And I'm especially proud of the fact that so much Native joy has been represented. Um, and this year, especially. I really like that take, James, the, the whole idea of theme of joy. And I had no idea what, what that whole background with, I mean, I'm familiar with 1491s, but didn't realize they were just so closely connected to, to the origins of, of Reservation Dogs. That's fascinating. And, and you talk about Marvel and, you know, I think most of us have been paying so much close attention to Marvel and just what they're doing with indigenous storylines. But I, I want to ask you, what about DC? Are they doing anything indigenous over there? I think DC is just having its own issues in general. DC Comics has been having a little bit of trouble 
Um, and that's where it's really kind of interesting because every single comic fan has turned into uh, has turned into a uh, an intellectual property lawyer because everybody knows which movie rights are owned by who. And the fact that DC movies did not do very well kind of has trickled down into the comics. Um, so it doesn't seem like DC is investing as much in their comics. Uh, but one of the really cool things that's coming out is um, uh, the TV show What If is going to be featuring a Haudenosaunee character. Um, and uh, they work closely with uh, they clo- work closely with a couple of Iroquois tribes to develop that character, um, but DC kind of did that a couple of years ago. So um, there is uh, they they DC developed a character uh, called uh, oh my goodness uh, uh, not Eclipse but uh, Solst- or no Eclipse not Solstice Eclipse Equinox called Equinox um, that worked closely with the community, um, and so that's what the big companies are doing. Even more than that is. Um, also, I want to make sure to plug that uh, Stephen Graham Jones um, has created a series called Earth Divers that is also on a national uh, publishing company called IDW, which isn't as popular as Marvel and DC. Um, but I pick up his comic at my local comic book shop because it is a nationally um, it's a nationally produced and distributed um, comic book company. Um, so, uh, so, and just like um, just like Nicholas was referencing. Um, there's a lot more, um, maybe not necessarily the big companies, um, but uh, a few of the smaller companies are um, really starting to support, and so people are starting to get in there. Um, Maria Wolf Lopez is another one. And then another one is also just the number of Comic-Cons. There were three, at least definitely three Native-based Comic-Cons, and that's another opportunity for Natives to kind of get out there and show their stuff. Um, so there's there's been a lot more opportunities, a lot more Natives kind of taking control of our stories and um, getting stuff out there. James, in addition to comics, I, I know you also watch a lot of television. What did you think of Alaska Daily? I did not. I have that on my saved list, and I did not actually finish watching it. I think I got through the first couple of minutes, and then I wanted to uh, watch it with my wife. Um, but that's another example of um, I said I got to watch that. And that's the other part when preparing for this um one is I created a list, and at some point, if if I if I can't go through the entire list of awesome stuff that's going on, um, I definitely want people to go check out um, and hopefully be able to get it up on the Name America Calling website because there was a lot of stuff that went on in 2023, and I actually had forgotten about Alaska Daily, um, <laughs> and that's almost kind of like the overload. I was I have a four and a half year old, so I was watching the second season of Spirit Rangers of Molly and the third season of Molly Denali that just came out this year. Um, and so by the time my wife and I got around to trying to watch Alaska Daily, um, we were usually passed out. Um, but the fact <laughs> that we were still, it wasn't just one or the other. Um, we were still consuming a lot of Native-created content, either on big networks like ABC and FX, um, PBS, um, Netflix. Um, there's just so much stuff that way. Hopefully right. Um, right. stuff will carry over. And in 2024, we're going to be ta- still talking about this stuff from 2023. <laughs> And it's just a good sign because if there's so much content out there that, that you can't watch it all, you can't keep up. I mean, isn't that what we want? Definitely, definitely. And that that's 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 and not only that, but also I'm actually going to agree with uh, with uh, my brother uh, Jason Asnap. Um, I would like it to to take it to that next level, so that way it's not just um, I, the comment about uh, Freiburg facing me. I love that. That was a great movie. That was those. But to me, it really felt a lot like um, uh, El Mariachi and Desperado, uh, Robert Rodriguez's first two movies, 
where mm. it feels like if he was able to create this awesome movie on a minimal budget during COVID in a very limited set, imagine what he's going to be able to do with a little bit more money. So some of that Netflix money, um, be able to really create, uh, take us out to sheep camp, um, take the, take us out on a couple more adventures to the rodeo. Um, so those, that was really exciting for me and maybe not necessarily a sequel, but just almost kind of like, uh, what could he do with more? And so that was, that was really exciting. And that's what it feels a lot of with a lot of, um, a lot of this stuff, what, what can natives do with more? Um, and, and so like a lot of the people that I talked about, like John Proudstar, uh, the, uh, Captain Paiute creator, Hedy So, he's, he's working a full-time job and creating a comic on this side. Um, what are these people going to be able to do? What are these creators going to be able to do if just given a little bit more time and given a little bit more resources that way they can really commit to doing this full time. Um, and that's where things like, uh, like, uh, like, um, uh, like Red Planet and uh, and and the Indigenous at uh, at uh, Tribe Call Geek are really creating a lot of those opportunities too. So then that way a lot more people can get out there and get their name shown because there's some really amazing talented people that are just looking for an opportunity. Right on, James Nicholas. I'm going to go back to you for the last word. We've got about a minute for you to share any other highlights from 2023 Native pop culture. Yeah, well, you know, I want to circle back to your question about what I've just seen in my life with growing up uh, with Native uh, content and Native media. Um, you know, mentioning, too, what James said uh, about Spirit Rangers. I also have a, a almost four-year-old. And knowing that, like, my son is going to grow up seeing a lot of Native content, it's just going to be normal for him. He's not going to have to wait, like, between uh, something like Smoke Signals and um, Rutherford Falls, like that big gap of time where there's just not a lot of mainstream. He's going to just know this. This is just going to be normal for him. So I'm really excited to see what the kids have access to and what they're going to be able to create in the future. I think it's a great opportunity for our young people coming up and um, more opportunities hopefully will keep arriving for those of us who are working in the industry now. We've now reached the end of our hour, so let me th say thank you to our guests today, Jason Asnap, James Simmermeyer, Nicholas Deshaw, and Everett Osceola for a wonderful conversation on pop culture of 2023. Join us tomorrow as we take a look at efforts to grow the Cherokee language in North Carolina. I'm your host, Sean Spruce. Pursuing a degree in higher education is attainable, and with a scholarship from Native Forward Scholars Fund, it is more affordable. From aerospace to veterinary medicine, as the largest direct scholarship provider to Native students in the U.S., Native Forward has empowered over 22,000 students from over 500 tribes in all 50 states in pursuit of their undergraduate, graduate, and professional degrees. Info and applications at nativeforward.org, who support this show. Buju, Gichi Twawain Dagwaziwa Gigichi Aya Amenanig, we do kao, Jibindige be a Gazawa de Baige Sigwan and Anduindwa. Nawaj Jigikendaman, Mawadishawain, healthcare.gov slash coverage. Gemaganoj, 1 800 318 2596. Gaundinagadig, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation. 
and native nonprofit media organizations. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.